OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. All right, welcome everybody. We are at Ask an Angel, and today we are with Jeff Messina, and very excited to have this conversation. Uh, we chatted a bunch of times. We met at a few events, or event a while back, and I just love all of what you're doing, especially in this space. Anybody that's giving money to people, that's exciting for me. Just makes the world go different. So, uh, one of the things I want to jump into right away, but I guess you can start it off by giving us an idea of your background, where you came from, what you've been up to, and then kind of where you're going, and that'll uh, help us stage kind of the next questions. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, JP. And thanks very much for uh, inviting me and for hosting uh, this event. Uh, I mean, some of the topics that we'll probably cover, some of the questions that will be raised will be very uh, relevant, especially uh, during this uh, crucial period during this uh, pandemic. But, you know, just going back to your question, you know, I've been in this uh, in the investment space for roughly over 15 years, uh, basically started off uh, in the investment banking world working at a few uh, boutique shops, uh, Haywood Securities being one, Macquarie being another. And um, so eventually I, I started in, in that uh, general space before moving over to the investment side. So I was working for a few firms like CI Financial, uh, which is one of Canada's largest asset management firms. Uh, Front Street uh, Capital was uh, another one. Um, they were more of a hedge fund. Um, and then I was working for another company uh, that's based in Toronto called uh, AIP, which had a bit of a uh, VC spin to uh, their platform. And today I work as a uh, director of originations at uh, Cortland Credit Group, also based in Toronto. And our focus is largely more on the um, fixed income side as well as uh, early stage investing, but from a non-dilutive uh, capital financing perspective. Awesome. So how did you get, what was your interest that got you moving forward in this early stage space? I think, you know, when I was working in the investment banking space, when I first started off, a lot of these companies were not blue chip names. They were private companies. They were, some of them were small cap, micro cap, public companies. And, um, you know, I mean, I guess I'll be quite candid. The main draw was just sort of the upside uh, return on a lot of these potential investments. Um, but later on, I mean, that was when I was younger and just getting an appreciation for the overall space. As I started to um, switch over from investment banking into the, uh, into the asset management VC buy side environment, um, I was sitting across the table from a lot of these early stage companies that were looking to raise capital and to me, I was just drawn by the passion of these entrepreneurs, hearing their stories, looking at how they were looking to transform their space, the world, what have you. And so it was at that moment that I developed a, a greater affinity for this particular uh, for this particular space. That's awesome. So you got you're in a room. You've got these. Uh younger companies coming in, they, they have no idea what they're doing. So you kind of just start to guide through. Uh, is it more on the business side that helped you generate the value back for them, which is because you guys were lending, finding different ways to give them funding, or were you kind of 
starting off and saying, hey, I think I can help you from over here and maybe I can throw some cash at you myself and I'll get you guys more ready. And then when you get a little bit further on, then I can bring you back in front of what we're doing. Yeah, I, I would say initially it was more so the, the former. So I think the immediate contribution was on the funding side. Um, and, but, you know, as that relationship started to build and as I started to become a bit more familiar with VC financing um, and, and knowing some of the other part potential participants or some knowing some of the participants in the space and developing those relationships, you, you know, I think one of the other aspects that I was able to contribute to uh, some to the conversation that I had with early stage entrepreneurs was that if we couldn't necessarily fund them ourselves, there were other people that I could happily make those introductions. And it may not necessarily be on a funding perspective. It could be with respect to helping to build their board or if they're looking for a lawyer with respect to any, um, any, any IP that they want to explore or secure, or even from a uh, elementary level, just having a bookkeeper or a CFO to help them with the finan financials. That's awesome. So you, you became kind of like a Rolodex for uh, these young companies. <laughs> it's a small community and you see, uh, you know, you see some new startups, that's true. But at the same time too, you'll see ser several serial entrepreneurs and, uh, you know, they've already got that track record. They may be venturing into a new space that may be different for them. So if I could sort of lend that level of expertise or network, then by all means, I think, you know, I, I think we, we, should be, we should be willing to help and develop that ecosystem and help entrepreneurs build their ventures. No, I love that. You mentioned earlier that uh, you spent a lot of time in venture debt and trying to find different ways to help companies um, with financing. Can you give us a bit of more background and understanding of how that looks or how that would look in the, the new world, I guess, with where you are today? Yeah, so venture debt, I mean, typically we're looking for uh, some form of collateral. And so typically for some early stage companies, they may not necessarily have a certain collateral base that more conventional lenders are looking for. But, you know, we like to think outside of the box. And one of the forms of funding that's accessible to early stage companies is, are the, are the uh, grants or funding programs that the government is able to provide, whether it be SHRED or IRAP. Uh, if you're in the clean tech space, you might be filing an application for SDTC, or you may have already qualified, but you've completed phase one and uh, out of phase three. So additional funding may be coming through. So for us, you know, we'll take a look at some of those opportunities and help provide companies with that immediate working capital. Uh, so until, until they get that, until they collect some of those funds. So that's, that's just speaking on behalf of the, the platform uh, where I work, but you know, from a personal perspective, I've been engaged in the uh, VC space for some time now. So I'll personally uh, invest uh, equity into various companies. Uh, it all depends really on the story and, and who's, who's running the show, right? Um, and there are other factors too that will attract an equity investment, but you know, we, we could get into that uh, a bit 
later in, in, the, in the dialogue. No, for sure. So in this, uh, and there seems to be quite a few companies nowadays that utilize the, the shred or the IRAPs and the government grants to be kind of that flagship into the companies. Is that kind of the same thing that you guys are using that same tactic or do you guys have something that's more unique on how you're funding? Like, is there a larger um, bankroll? Is there other ways that you guys are operating that kind of set you aside from, you know, the tread credit companies that are out there, like they're offsetting their shreds and say, you know what, we know you need a hundred thousand or a hundred million or whatever the number is. And then we'll give you that money tomorrow. And uh, we take 20 points from it and we clear it that way. Is there like, do you guys have different ways that you structure that? Or is, is that kind of the approach? Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, that's one of the ways uh, that we can, we can look at the strategy, but I would say that it probably depends each company is different, so we'll look at it case by case. And if some companies may have already gone past the, uh, the proof of concept phase and they're in that commercialization phase, then we'll certainly look to uh, provide some additional capital beyond what's going to be provided from uh, the government funding. Uh, as well, there could be some other uh, catalysts involved. Uh, so there could be basically on the verge of signing a large contract, uh, with some other partners, uh, whereby, you know, there could be a potential strategic equity investment from, uh, from some of those larger players in the space. And so that would probably give us some degree of comfort as well, maybe to just write a check that goes above and beyond uh, what would be supported by uh, government funding. Very cool. And do you have any specific vehicles that you look to uh, do the equity through? Is it a balance of payback and equity? Is it broken down by uh, just like interest in three years? Like how do you guys do it? Is it term? Convertible yeah, it's load? a variety. Like, I mean, we, we, we kind of sort of find a um, sort of a nice, sort of a nice mix that's sort of mutually beneficial. I mean, typically we'll, we'll try and do something that's more on the bridge side. So it's, it's relatively short term, uh, but on a more personal level, uh, I guess I, I would be more patient with some of the capital that uh, I would be deploying or some, if I invite other members of my network to participate, you know, we would probably form a bit of a syndicate and look at maybe a uh, convertible note uh, structure if it's, not, uh, if it's not an equity investment that we make. Okay. Um, can we look at a safe? Yeah, I, I guess we, we, we could, but, uh, I think for us, you know, maybe a convertible, uh, option would probably be, uh, probably be more, more appealing. Uh, and we wouldn't necessarily take the, the interest could be paid as a pick as well. So, uh, I mean, it doesn't necessarily need to be a cash, uh, interest payment could be just paid in shares as well. Perfect. That's a good thing. So have you found that, I guess, just the way the markets have been going with on the COVID side, have you seen increased deal flow now? Have you seen uh, reduced deal flow, maybe more fails, more wins? How's that environment been shaken out for you guys and yourself, obviously, personally, but also as a lending business? Yeah, I think at the start of, well, at the start of this pandemic, I, I think uh, it, there was a lot of uncertainty. Uh, quite a few challenges and people were just trying to businesses were really just trying to navigate uh, so these choppy waters and, and really trying to determine 
you know, what their next move was. I mean, first of all, I mean, at the end of the day, they're running businesses. So, you know, they're trying to do right for their employees. Um, so I think that was the biggest thing. I mean, for a lot of companies trying to understand where they can restructure without having to let go any people, what other expenses they need to, they needed to cut, what programs they needed to apply to. And so, you know, now that that's out of the way, and I'll say that while they were trying to navigate that, I think it was, it was fairly muted in terms of just looking at opportunities. But, you know, since, since then, I would probably say around May, things have started to uh, pick up more uh, steadily. No, I, I agree. There has been a lot more. Uh, I think there was probably two weeks when it all started where I thought like, oh, my God, this is crazy. There hasn't been like, I feel like I should be watching Netflix all day. And now, uh, now it's been just kind of unbelievably uh, swamped and not being able to breathe. Everybody's kind of just moving like crazy. And uh, it feels like we never had a pandemic, I guess. But uh, everybody's just shifted the way they work and operate and, and move forward. Um, you mentioned that you, you look at, obviously, from an asset base, you try to find different measures that will make the company more investable. And as investors, we look at all different types of things to... Uh, prove that this company is doing something that's being done better than anybody else so that they're going to be able to grow and be the next um, large business. Is there any pieces that you guys really focus on because it is an early stage company from an asset or is it a product service, e-commerce, SaaS model? Are there specific areas that you um, like to look more into and have more interest because they have a different style of return? Well, I'll say this from a fund level, we did actually invest in an e-commerce play. Uh, we funded them last year. We provided them with acquisition financing. So they had already uh, built a, a, um, a reputable platform, uh, which offered a variety of experiences from travel to dining to um, uh, groceries, um, and as well as some other leisure activities. And so they were making an acquisition. We helped to provide them with capital. Um, they were looking for some additional working capital about a couple of months ago, which we would have been happy to provide or even some acquisition financing. So follow on financing to our original uh, facility. But uh, you know, it's just such a hot space right now. Obviously, with Shopify, I think uh, if, if I don't know if my figures are correct, either they're the number one or number two publicly traded market cap or right now uh, largest, sorry, largest publicly traded by market cap uh, company. But, and so because of that, because of Shopify's success, they've been able to leverage that and uh, seek a go public uh, opportunity right now. So while they're doing that as well, they're actually uh, also talking to one of the big six banks that has a key focus on technology and that, um, that facility will ultimately uh, take us out. But, you know, I think the big takeaway here is that um, it's great to see the ecosystem working in tandem. So for us providing that initial growth capital, and then all of a sudden to have other participants like the investment banks raising capital and then having the conventional banks come in and provide some other, some additional capital as well, which will refinance us, but obviously give 
that company uh, cheaper debt and more more room to play with with respect to uh, their financials, right? Uh, as well as in terms of other themes, I mean, we're generally sector agnostic. So, you know, we're looking at, uh, we're looking at clean tech, we're looking at SaaS, as you mentioned, um, probably not to a high degree, but we'll, if, if the opportunity is attractive, we'll certainly take a closer look. And we'll look, we'll look at uh, healthcare technology, diagnostics, uh, and other uh, medical devices. In addition, we look at fintech companies as well. And we actually have uh, financed quite a few uh, on record. And quite frankly, I myself uh, am a personal investor in uh, that particular space as well. Uh, crowdfunding, I mean, obviously, we haven't seen crowdfunding take on the same level of traction or um, less resistance as say over in Europe, primarily UK and in Asia, i.e. Singapore. But I think with Reg A and Reg A plus in the US, we're starting to see uh, those conversations start to pick up. And if I'm not mistaken, I think I was just reading something the other day, the OSC is looking to uh, provide some amendments or provide some additional guidance uh, surrounding cr crowdfunding rules. Oh, which I think is encouraging. Oh, to, keep, to get more of it happening? Correct. Create more liquidation out there? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And also just to provide early stage investors uh, another outlet, another option for funding. Because, you know, truth be told, uh, the CBCA just recently hosted their annual, um, their annual, annual uh, event, um, albeit virtual, but you know, I think one of the key takeaways is that in the first two quarters of this year, year over year, uh, financings within amongst the VC uh, members has certainly decreased, right? Um, so, you know, in, with respect to some of the trials and tribulations that early stage companies have to deal with, I mean, obviously, they need to seek other options if uh, venture funds may not necessarily be able to uh, write a check uh, these days. And are, are you guys finding that that's happening quite a bit where you're seeing ventures slow back, focus on their portfolios and putting your, giving you guys a bigger pickup because you're kind of uh, a different format from VCs or angel investing outside yourself being an angel investor, but finding that more people are looking at different ways and saying, Hey, how else can I get funds here? This, I need help. Yeah, I think it's tough. I think we're both in the same boat. Uh, you know, for for us, with respect to the due, due diligence component, typically it would entail a field trip or a site visit. And so when you don't have those opportunities to actually um, do a site visit, it, it, it does present some challenges with respect to getting a deal done. Not to say that you can't get a deal done. I mean, there are certain uh, transactions uh, that are, are still taking place. Uh, and albeit through virtual due diligence, uh, you know, we're certainly trying to navigate around that, uh, around that dilemma. I think we're getting better at it and which is helping to shorten the timelines. Right. But uh, certainly it is creating a bit of a backlog with respect to uh, trying to uh, get through some of these opportunities in a more uh, precipitous fashion. Right. And I suspect that the same thing is happening with, 
my colleagues in the VC space. Unless there's already some degree of familiarity where, you know, it's just more getting an update, looking at some more refined numbers or updated numbers. Uh, I mean, if there's already been a site visit in the past, then, you know, I think for those types of opportunities where there's already a level of familiarity, I think, you know, you can certainly uh, move those ones uh, quicker to the finish line. So do you think that there's this really um, tactile side to the business that no matter what, we're not going to be just making rapid fire investments and being like, hey, Bob, nice to meet you. Judy, nice to meet you. I'll send you guys <laughs> money tomorrow. Like it's, uh, it's not something that's going to work that fast, which is odd because crowdsourcing is pretty much the exact same structure, which you're not meeting anybody. You're seeing a pitch deck and you're like, I really love these guys. I'm going to put my money into them. And you have no idea what, who the owners are. You don't know anything about them. You get to watch a little video, maybe see some uh, snippets. But, oh, they had 50 investors for the last week. I should jump in because herd mentality says that they're going to do well if 50 people like them. So is there a balance here? Because I'm curious, is that, does this world just shift so much that it just becomes online uh, dartboard throwing and this is where we're in, how we're investing? You know, and if a deal is competitive, I think, you know, perhaps we may look to um, try and exercise a, a bit more, more flexibility. Uh, but I would just say in general right now, um, I think, well, especially in our particular space, um, we expect to see uh, now that we're in, in the start of uh, the second half of the year, uh, we actually expect to see a, a greater wave of deal flow uh, once we once the summer is concluded. So basically from September onwards to the end of the year, we'll see an increased uh, deal flow. So part of it too is just on our side is just maybe waiting for other opportunities, better opportunities to present themselves as opposed to just rushing for, to, to do the first deal okay. that comes your way. Which, which probably makes sense too, because if you, you're looking at COVID hits, more people are unemployed, people are starting to put businesses together, so there's going to be more ideas, they're going to flush them out. You probably need three to six months to flush that idea, which kind of puts us in September timeframe. So they're going to get some traction, they're going to get some build going forward. So there'll be more interest for those companies when they're a bit more grounded and, and uh, have a few more wins behind their belts or they've launched their MVP. And that's probably around that September timeframe. So there'll probably be a lot more companies coming to market to get investment at that time. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's a very uh, salient point. No, that's cool. So I want to go back to this crowdfunding thing. So uh, sure. because it, it is, I find it very fascinating and interesting. And from a moral standpoint, it drove me crazy because uh, we put a lot of time into researching companies and founders and meeting them and going through all this to make that choice. And then you have this whole new vertical, which is people that have, it's not high net worth individuals putting their money in. It's just everybody that's putting their money in and they will get received even less information and knowledge about the company, but it is way more high risk than obviously what we would be doing to make that choice because probably 90% of the companies that go to cloud, um, uh, cloud funding or, uh, probably don't have that same due diligence and they're not posting it. So do you find that this is actually a good vehicle for um, startups or this is just a easy way for startups to find some access dollars that they weren't maybe able to get in the markets before that? 
No, no, I think it's a great avenue, to be quite frank. I mean, I'm actually uh, signed up for a couple of, um, you know, just more for research purposes, but I'm actually signed up to a few U.S. crowdfunding platforms just to better understand uh, what's, what's out there and what sort of traction they're getting in the market, right? And, you know, maybe just before I dive into that uh, question, you, you, you know, I think we look at what's happened with some of the Robinhood platforms, people kind of read the headlines and see, you know, how sort of the mass retail market is just sort of jumping in there and, you know, making uh, a level uh, of investment that hasn't been seen for in a long time with respect to the investments coming from the retail crowd. Now, mind you, of course, some of those, um, some of those opportunities may not necessarily be the best, uh, right. For example, you know, investing in a uh, bankrupt uh, company that's about to go bankrupt like Hertz. But, you know, there are some but there are some great opportunities. And again, not to again, not to sort of take away from the theme here. I guess the main theme is that uh, being able to engage that those investors can certainly help to spearhead growth within the early stage investment community. Right. Um, you know, Canada has its own crowdfunding platform. Um, I've had a few uh, friends that have early stage companies that have run campaigns there and they've attracted, uh, successfully attracted some dollars, uh, which has been tremendously helpful for them during this period. But overall, with respect to other camp, other initiatives that uh, and endeavors that they're looking to, looking, looking to launch, right? So I think that if we can create more awareness um, in this particular space, then, then I certainly think that um, you know, it, could be, it could be greatly beneficial for, uh, for the early stage community. So I guess in a way it should be looked at just like you have crowdsourcing where uh, you can sell a product before you build the product. So you, in a way you set the stage, tell everybody here's what you're looking to build. You sell a, a million dollars worth of that product good. Uh, and we did this one company that we invested in and they sold everything three years ago. And uh, they've spent the last three years perfecting the product. They're now going to market in the next couple months. But I think if you treat it the same way where you crowdsource um, by selling the product on uh, what's the sites that are pretty popular there that everybody sells on um, Are you referring to the one here in Canada? Well, all of them. There's a bunch of them that people use, but it's just totally, I always forget these. Anyways, you can sell like product on millions of them. So we get yeah. into that side, they sell them. But going back to the, the crowdsource, uh, the funding side, it's almost the same. You're almost doing the same thing. You're saying to investors, you know what? I'm going to come here first. I'm going to scrap together a few dollars. Uh, leave it on an open safe or an open note. I'm going to raise maybe a hundred thousand when I go and try and build my company. I'll let the public invest and then I'll go to the angel markets and everybody else. And I'll show you that, Hey, we sold a million dollars of product already. We raised a hundred thousand through crowd um, funding. And now we're looking for your help on this side. So maybe it's a form of de-risking because it's giving you that early money that you wouldn't have got if you didn't go there because really at the end of the day, it's such an early stage, it probably makes sense for those investors that are coming online to help. Because when you go out to the angel groups, they're saying, oh, I need more data, I need more this, I need more that. 
and maybe that's just a better way of finding a few dollars quicker. You know, the other benefit to, to it too, as well, is that, you know, apart from just the fundraising uh, aspect of it, you know, there are a number of private investors, high net worth investors or angel investors that are, um, that subscribe to these sites. And so, you know, certainly if there's an opportunity that they come across that they like, it also opens up that channel for uh, discussion. So, you know, maybe perhaps they can come on as an advisor, maybe bring their network if they're particularly excited about that particular project and maybe, you know, round out that seed investment with uh, some other accredited investors. And then ultimately, and if, of course, if they're already part of an angel network, helping to build that concept so that it's presentable to those angel networks once they basically complete that funding and allocate it to building that MVP or, or whatever initiative that they're looking to accomplish. No, I love that. That's a, that's a great way of looking at it. I think um, it was tough for me to get through my head that if you don't get funds here, you're going to go here and then those people are going to invest in you, but your chances of survival are even slimmer now because you're not getting support of angels. You're not getting support of VCs. So there's probably going to be a high fail rate. So how can you go out and push uh, crowdfunding when you feel like everybody has a 95% chance of losing their money and they're doing this because they think they're going to hit it big into a small company that's not going to get anywhere. So I think if we look at it from a whole different kind of perspective and say, you know what, this early money into some of these companies, there's a big chance that if we can pick one or two of them up, move them over, they're going to get that next six investments, which could help them grow into being a lot bigger company. And it's just part of that whole support in the ecosystem of getting uh, those companies in at the right stages so that they can grow to get to that right size. Right. I will say, though, that I think that our regulatory environment is probably a bit stricter uh, relative to the U.S. And in terms of the types of deals that can be found on Canadian platforms, I find that they're uh, not necessarily um, as early stage. They're not basically a an idea on a napkin type of uh, okay. opportunity, right? You, you know, I think some of these opportunities that are being presented have some level of traction in their in their respective spaces. Some of them are generating revenue. Some of them have even been around for, uh, have been operating for a number of years. Uh, so there's already some, uh, there's already some uh, validity with respect to those platforms. There's proof in the pudding essentially, right? Yeah. And so the, the, the downside risk, uh, while it's still present, is probably uh, less risky uh, than, say, some of the opportunities that I come across uh, on the U.S. platforms. Okay. So as long as it's not part of that ICO world back yeah, a few years ago, right. then we should be okay, right? We're not investing in uh, somebody's retirement fund. So Yeah, exactly. Which is good. Oh, that's good. I, I like that. That's that's pretty short, um, but it, it, it really gives you a different perspective on how these different facets are really helping in the funding world. And I think that these all make a difference. It's just you have to learn a little bit more about how each one really pans out. Uh, but I think that there's some uh, real opportunity there. So so now fast forward, you're, you're working with different companies. Uh, do you work on a capacity of coaching, mentoring? Do you work with companies on, on that capacity as well? Or uh, are you more just on the funding side? Uh, currently right now, 
at the fund level, it's just largely on the, it's just largely funding. Uh, but prior to working at Cortland, you know, I was uh, consulting and, and involved on the coaching side. Um, in fact, I used to do, uh, I used to uh, attend a few Toronto Enterprise um, meetings uh, and in fact got involved with one of their uh, mentorship uh, mentorship drives and basically took a company under or matched with a company took it under my wing and just basically provided res- answers to some of the questions that they had and if I could uh, you know assist them with any introductions uh, you, you know I would I would be more than happy to provide that um, so and that's one of the things that I appreciate. I mean, you asked me, you know, what kind of things that I really enjoy about this. You know, not only do I appreciate hearing the other side of the table, hearing their passion for the story. And a lot of them, you know, some of them are serial entrepreneurs. They kind of have a recipe that they basically uh, tend to follow. But, you know, for those that are just starting new, you know, that's where I like to contribute and give back and, and basically provide them with some level of guidance or at least maybe help them to sort of streamline uh, what what maybe perhaps their focus should be as opposed to just trying to adopt a, a shotgun approach, which, you know, may not necessarily uh, lead to uh, lead them anywhere or it, it'll just be time consuming, right? So, you know, if anything, time is also money. So if I can help, uh, you know, keep them relatively focused so that they can achieve their milestones sooner rather than later, then, uh, you know, I'm certainly game for that. Brilliant. We all, every startup can use a little bit more guidance and a little bit more help wherever they can get it. So, and having someone that has a background in, in finance and banking, has got to be huge uh, help for, for these startups because a lot of the time it's um, usually the, the help they're getting is applicable because some person worked or sold a company in this space and that's how they're helping. So, when you've got a broader view, it really does build a different perspective in for that startup. Yeah, agreed completely. Is there uh, is there a part of investing that you you mentioned that uh, obviously you like to help and give back? Is there a favorite part that you just love about working with startups? Is it uh, the grind that they go through and you just want to feel part of that, or what is it that really gets you gung ho about it? You know, part of it is. I mean, obviously, you want to see them succeed, and you know when they get to that certain milestone uh you know i guess the easiest uh milestone is uh, you know to celebrate as a liquidity event whether they go public or if they get acquired or maybe they get a strategic investor uh, uh that gets involved that really you know adds to the credence of what they're trying that they've uh, been trying to build up all these uh years uh you know seeing that uh that that side you know, is always exciting. Uh, but of course, uh, seeing the seeing the early phases too, seeing them get, you know, go from ground level and continue to build their platform, basically building, uh, continuing to build it towards the next milestone and, uh, you know, continuing to build and reach additional accomplishments. I think that that's an exciting component in terms of just sort of tracking a lot of these uh, opportunities agreed yeah there's uh there's an element of excitement when you just hit this next little piece next little piece and that you're being brought aware of that and they're t- bringing you in and saying hey guess what i just did today it's pretty exciting like i just closed my first uh million dollars or i hit 10 million it's 
it's mind-boggling. It blows you away. You're excited for them. You want to figure out how to keep keep that ball rolling and that they're making the right choices. But at the same time, then there's the other side, which is growing at rapid speed and not being able to keep up and uh, making the wrong choices. And then you end right. up having to uh, go back in and, and help fix problems. So I guess no matter what, there's a slow growth and then there's speed growth and they're trying to figure out how to avoid the, the big bumps. So. Like, I'll tell you, I'll give you a, a, a good example. So I, I'm an investor in this one e-gaming opportunity. And so, you know, they've met with a few VCs and, and the VCs certainly like what management is trying to do in terms of uh, building building the platform out, building the company out. Um, but, you, you, and, you know, they, they express their interest to commit certain funds. Of course, there are certain strings that could potentially be involved. And so it wasn't the direction that this company wanted to take. So, you know, the CEO just kind of, you know, just basically um, put their nose to the ground and just basically kept on plugging away. You know, one of the, we talked about this already, one of the options that they used was crowdfunding uh, to help them basically get some capital to get them to the next initiative. And then as an e-gaming company, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, they, 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 they provide is some of the streaming content. And so, you know, some of the, some of the um, streaming events that they hosted featured professional sports players, uh, professional athletes, whether it be NHL players, whether it be basketball, NBA players or NFL players, right? You, you know, it's just seeing that their involvement on their platform is exciting. Right, and then all of a sudden, signing one of them to become a global ambassador for your platform, right? So to me, I think you know th this is that 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 that. It, I mean, it's not necessarily all funding related, but I mean, for the company, these were massive milestones. And for me, as an investor, as somebody that's kind of engaged to a certain degree on an advisory side, you know, it, it was it was. Uh, <laughs> It, it was certainly it certainly pumped me up. <laughs> no, you're 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 right. It reminds me of a of a quick story that um, one of the founders um, I, I invited him to a, a ball game, and the reason why I did this was a few years ago was uh, he said, you know, we've got um, we've got this baseball player that reached out to us and he wants to be our brand ambassador. I don't know him. What do you think? <laughs> and, uh, I, I heard the name and I was like. Oh my gosh, Josh Donaldson? Are you kidding me? This guy's huge. Wow. <laughs> he's like, yeah, yeah, I, I know he's huge, but he wants to be an ambassador. I'm like, this is brilliant. This is brilliant. I'm taking you a game. We went to a game and uh, we, we watched and he was just totally stoked. He's like, this guy's amazing. I'm like, exactly. He was not heavily into sports, but his brand was so built around this. So yeah. it actually worked out quite well for them. But it was just exciting because uh, sometimes you, it's not your space. You're just mauling forward and someone comes up and says, Hey, I want to rep this. I love what you guys are doing. And uh, blows your mind away, blew my mind away more than his, but, uh, so yeah, we don't have to name the company, but I'm going to guess this is a beverage company. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> and see, that's the beauty, right? Like we see a lot of deals and, um, you know, I mean, I may not be able to get involved in one deal, but you know, I might just say, Hey, JP, you should look at this company, right? Next thing you know, you could be taking them out to a game and there's that sort of engagement. It's just, you know, that's how our ecosystem should work. If, if we don't like a deal, it shouldn't be 
the deals, that's where it ends, right? I think we owe it to ourselves as investors in general, to the community and to the startup community. And I, and I this is a big takeaway. I, 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 I took this away from a um, panel that I heard last year, but, you know, I think that for, for us investors, if, if we can't necessarily get in, make a, make an investment, we should really uh, take it upon ourselves to just see who in our network uh, could, could help out, whether from a funding perspective or provide some level of advisory, uh, something to that effect, right? Um, I mean, that's the only way we'll see uh, today's entrepreneurs, uh, early stage entrepreneurs grow into successful entrepreneurs. I love it. And, and I completely agree with you. Like when we do our skip the line events, uh, we have seven angel groups that are there, which we're part of, and we help with the screening on both sides. And the reason we keep growing this and bringing in more investors and more angel groups and VCs, uh, which we're inviting you to come at the end of the month, um, especially for the one in September, because the one in September is going to be five Canadian companies and five global companies. So we're bringing in global investors into this mix now as well. But the reason why this is exciting is that um, every company that pitches at our syndication is that they get picked up by one or more angel groups. They don't all pick up the same company because they all have a different underlying uh, view of how a startup works, but they're all willing to share and try and help move that company forward somehow. And if we did it as the way we were, which is you keep going to each individual group, if I get denied, 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 you start to get tired of being denied because you can't figure out which one likes you. If we bring them all into one group and then when we feed them out, just the ones that like you pick you up, then you avoid all of that time having to get no's when you know the company's coming after you or the likes and these other ones can warm up to you because their base is totally different. They, they really are fintech oriented or they're healthcare oriented and they may not, you might not fit into their groupings of the types of companies they invest in, but we don't all think that way. We just think, oh no, no. We all are heard, so we all need to invest in the same companies. So I love the right. fact that you're saying that, you know what, you got to really hone in. If you can't help them, find someone that can. Introduce yeah, absolutely. Them to somebody else. And, you know, you just touched on something, too. And this sort of goes back to, you know, involvement with entrepreneurs and um, early stage opportunities. You know, you kind of mentioned if they go to different groups, they, they get denied over and over again, Right. And this is where coaching comes in. This coaching is helpful. Like for, for those that aren't necessarily serial entrepreneurs and they're launching into their first endeavor, you know, they're putting their heart and soul into it. And they think that they have probably the best mousetrap that's out there. They, they, they probably do. But, uh, you know, they could be pitching to a group and they may not necessarily say something correctly or uh, maybe – you know, they're not providing as much information on their slide deck that gives a complete picture. And as a result, you know, the investor on the other side says no, right? But, you know, this is where if there's sort of that engagement with a mentor or uh, an advisor, this is where they could take that feedback and help to coach, provide, it, provide a coaching moment for some of these new entrepreneurs. Because, you know, I mean, for those that are serial entrepreneurs and you know, for myself, I've been with, involved in a few companies. Not everyone's going to say yes and, and throw money your way, right? So for those that say no, you know, you just have to sort of step back and, uh, you know, digest the, the feedback that they provide you and see if you could 
you know, not going to change the entire model of what you're doing, but maybe, you know, there's certain facets that could be changed. Maybe you work on your model, tweak your model. Maybe you change your slide deck to incorporate points that would probably better um, convey what it is that you're trying to sell. Yep. Well, it's being open-minded, right? It's not everything's going to work the first time, but you're going to get enough feedback to help you to the next one. And hopefully the next one, you'll avoid any of those little pit stops that prevented that one person from seeing your vision and the other person's going to get it right away and want to jump in and help. And, and again, like you said, sometimes you got to pass on things you don't want to pass on. Um, right. It doesn't work, but it doesn't mean you're not going to circle back. Uh, we, we had one company that we worked for with two years, almost three years. And we were like, you're not there yet, but we love what you're doing. Let's keep rolling, keep rolling. And then eventually they came and said, okay, here's what we got. We're like, done. It's amazing. Yeah. We're in. We closed their round off and they haven't raised since. And, uh, you know, they've been going like crazy, doing awesome, great things. But uh, it, it took us a while because they, you know, they just weren't, uh, they just didn't have the right product fit, market fit for what um, we thought was a real winner. And then when they had it, they knew they had it and we were still sitting on the sidelines. So it just was fantastic for us to be able to jump into that. Um, and I think that that's, again, doesn't happen always like that. Uh, that's amazing, but it doesn't always work out. But you've, I think if you, like you mentioned, you feed the system, help people out where they need the help. Um, but at the same time, you're, you're coaching and helping people on, you know, when something goes wrong, how do I improve on this? How do I become better? Because I don't want to hit the same pit stops. And we all need a challenge. And just learning from our mistakes helps us challenge the world better and, and become better at what we're pitching. Certainly. Exactly. So before we get into the rapid fire questions, I got one bigger question and then one last question at the end, all end. But okay. So the question I have is that, in the time that you've been working with startups and, and investing over the last 15 years, uh, is there anything that you could say that you really think defines an entrepreneur or their business or a reason you want to invest? Is there a couple of things that you would tell the investment community or the startup community? You know what? Here's what I really look for. This is the thing that really gets me excited about a company or the entrepreneur or who, whatever it might be and uh, share those things of success that will help them become more successful. Right. Yeah. You, you know, I think the biggest principle um, that I tend to subscribe to is really the management team. Right. So you'll find serial entrepreneurs that have had some repeated success. And so, you know, for them, they're already battle tested um, and they may already have investors already. So one, they've got as in terms of management, they've got the experience uh, Two if they've already uh, been successful entrepreneurs, then they probably have investors that will follow them. So basically I'm just following alongside, uh, investing alongside some of those other investors, right? So those, that would be probably top of list in terms of uh, what, what I'd be looking for. I mean, does that disqualify an early stage, sorry, a, a first time entrepreneur? Not necessarily, right? I mean, there could be a, an entrepreneur could be working on a particular platform. Uh, I mean, let's just say, let's call it blockchain, right? And they're working on this blockchain mousetrap and they could be doing it in partnership with Accenture or one of the big four uh, accounting firms. Um, you know, that, that, or they could be doing something strategic with IBM, right? That would be certainly of interest, right? So, um, you know, that, that would be, that would be 
another another uh, area that would basically draw me in. And then, of course, just the overall themes. Like, you know, I think with respect to what's happening in the pandemic space, we're certainly accelerating our road, our pathway to the digital economy. So you just have to think, well, what's the digital economy going to look like? What's needed for that? Um, and then just find opportunities around that around that theme, right? So one of the key things that I'm pretty big on right now is is cybersecurity, because as we become more connected online, we'll certainly need some levels of protection uh, for enterprises as well as for consumers. I mean, you yeah. talked about e-commerce earlier in this in on this call uh, in this Zoom meeting, and you know we're starting to see. Uh, well, I'm starting to see uh, more online e-commerce related platforms raising capital and uh, can continue to get some traction in their particular fields. No, I love it. Those are, uh, those are three, three great uh, points that, um, you know, I think that if there was um, an over encompassing change in verticals that's happening, you're right. The digital space is changing. You've got securities, you've got healthcare, all of these spaces are really trying to take off because they were heavy resource to make them work. And I think you're going to see a lot of that shift. So I, I like that. That's uh, uh, some great things that really tie into why you'd want to invest or even some of the verticals that you may focus on. So now we're going to jump into these uh, rapid fire questions. And then at the end, right. we're going to do a crystal ball question. So, right. uh, so let's, let's fire this off. Sure. All right. So how many companies or dollars do you invest per in per year? I'd say one to three. Okay. Uh, do you do follow-up investments? I do. Percentage? Uh, it varies. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily tie a percentage. Um, yeah, it varies. Okay. Uh, any notable portfolio companies you'd like to share, like companies that you really were a big fan of, they're doing well, that you want to say, hey, these guys are cool, check them out? Well, one, I've, you know, I've invested in the uh, one company, it's in the esports betting space, and they're just doing a round right now. So I invested in the seed round. Uh, esports betting seems to be getting a bit of traction these days, and their, uh, their valuation is much higher now. And I think that uh, right now, uh, there's a high level of interest in that particular uh, in that particular realm. Uh, another company that I invested in uh, that just recently went public is called the Real Brokerage. Uh, Reax is the ticker. Uh, they're in the prop tech space. They're essentially a digital um, uh, brokerage, real estate brokerage. But you know, I just look at that opportunity in terms of a uh, multi-trillion-dollar market that's that's that that's looking for disruption. And the ticker was R-E-A-X? Correct. Awesome. All right, brilliant. That's good. Uh, you mentioned a couple of verticals. Any verticals that you like to focus on right now? Yeah, I think it generally tech, clean tech, um, e-gaming. Those would probably be the uh, three main ones. That's okay. personally, I think like, oh, and if I were to include the fund, I would say uh, e-commerce and, and healthcare technology okay uh, anything that you look for when uh, 
uh, you're doing due diligence that you need to make sure you have before making a commitment? Uh, yeah, I just, I basically, when I'm doing due diligence, again, just going back to emphasis on the management team, better understanding who they are, especially if they're not serial entrepreneurs. Um, and then essentially looking at uh, who are some of the other existing investors that are coming in on, on this round as well. Okay. Any preferred terms? Uh, preferred terms. You know, I'm good with uh, doing common common equity, but, uh, you know, convertible notes, I spoke about that earlier. That's also an option on the table. Okay. Do you lead rounds? Uh, generally, no. So, uh, I mean, I think in one case I did, uh, but generally uh, I, I participate alongside some other fellow investors. Okay. You take board seats? Uh, nope. But uh, usually, I mean, if it's being offered, I'll uh, certainly consider. And based on the markets of you or your investor groups pulled back or still looking for great deals? Still looking for great deals. Perfect. All right. So, well, there's one other question, but I'm going to ask this one because oh, you mentioned a story before, but okay. I was looking for some meaty, great story that you could share about the startup you were working with or one that you saw that started from nothing. They were hitting walls, couldn't find a market fit, or they were doing super well, fell off the cliff, and then were able to catch themselves on the way down, build it back up and, and turn themselves into a good company. Is there anything that you've kind of like a nice, cool story that you'd love to share? Oh, wow. You mean <laughs> that whole roller coaster ride? I usually <laughs> try and stay away from the roller coasters. Uh, but yeah, there is another, there is a company. It's also in the prop tech space. And this is the one where I kind of led it with a few other investors. We were effectively seed capital. Um, you know, they kind of pitched themselves as sort of, blockchain like uh and you know to a certain degree i mean i think there is there are some of those elements in their platform even though they're more of a prop tech company uh which is just more software based but um yeah i think i think they tried to uh piggyback leverage off of that whole blockchain momentum that we saw in 2017 2018 and that quickly fizzled. So all of a sudden, you know, I think they found themselves having to, they, they didn't know, okay, well, where could the potential capital come from, right? So, I mean, obviously with the capital that they did raise, they just simply had to build out their platform. And once they started to develop their MVP, then all of a sudden they tried going out to the market again. Not necessarily as successful. Uh, I think they were still trying to find their identity, right? I think they were still hanging on to that sort of heavy blockchain uh, uh, component of the business. Um, or the, sorry, they were stressing the, the, the blockchain component of the business. Um, you know, in some case, it was it was enough to lure a, a couple big fish in, um, which which kind of took a lot of people to take notice. 
uh, of, uh, of, of what they were doing. But unfortunately, those high-profile board members quickly resigned. And all of a sudden, I'm just like scratching my head. Okay, well, you just lost, you know, some of your key uh, ambassadors, right, for, for capital markets raising. Um, but eventually, you know, they just stuck with it. Uh, they were able to raise another round of cash, uh, built their business. And of course, then they got struck with, uh, like all of us, uh, got, uh, sideswiped by the pandemic. Um, they had to unfortunately let go of a few people and their capital raising efforts, which they started at the beginning of the year were effectively were effectively halted right uh up until recently where i've been told they've now been engaged by or approached by a u.s investment bank that um is keen to take them public so oh nice yeah yeah so you know it's been uh it's been a bit of a it's been a long journey for management uh obviously that's there's been a lot of successes and also some lows <laughs> within uh, within that time frame that they've started operating but it looks like it looks like the skies are starting to clear in their favor now oh that's awesome love that up and down roller coaster rides trying to figure it all out in the end uh, you know the pandemic may have actually helped them which is a good thing Absolutely. And the one thing that I will say too, is, I mean, the entrepreneur, the, the, the CEO of the company, I mean, this is probably his first active engagement in terms of running a company. So first time entrepreneur, uh, even though some of the, his previous workplaces allow for that sort of entrepreneur mentality, you know, he was, this is basically his, his, his first baby, if you will. And so, you know, <laughs> It's, there, there, there have been uh, some, I'm sure, some stressful moments, but uh, at the same time, too, I mean, now that the company is at this point, um, at this point right now, I'm sure, you, you know, he's certainly relieved to have made some of those sacrifices and, you know, worked those, those long hours to get the company uh, to where it is today. Oh, that's awesome. No, that's a great story. And I think like anything, it takes a little bit of time and you'll hit a few roadblocks, but hopefully you can overcome those to grow. So in the, uh, in our last, last question, um, and, uh, just quickly, you mentioned some of it before, so we won't do too yeah. much of the overlap, but, uh, using your crystal ball, where do you see the markets and investing in the next 12 to 36 months? Is there a specific vertical you think that's really going to explode? And, or do you think that there's going to be um, an increase in investing slowdown? What do you kind of envision? Yeah, I think there's going to be an increase in investment, particularly anything technology focused on the digital economy. Uh, I am starting to see, you know, I'm on a, a distribution and I see a number of uh, deal flow opportunities and I'm seeing a number of opportunities that basically play into that, uh, that particular space. And one thing that I'm liking to, liking right now too is now we're starting to see that evolution in the tech sector where you know we've built uh, companies like Shopify, even BlackBerry. You know it had its moment in the sun, but you know, it's still sticking around. But you know the founders of that company they've created their offshoot funds, right? So now we're starting to see those 
early stage, some of those tech entrepreneurs that are giving back uh, to the uh, tech community. And I think right now, as I said, we're, we're certainly aligning ourselves uh, for an upward trend. Brilliant. No, I like that. And I agreed that it's, uh, it's good that these, some of these old juggernauts are now giving back and helping in the community. So it, it is really helpful to open up some of that cash and get uh, the earlier stage companies more access to be able to have the opportunity to grow because you know what, they all need some sort of capital financing to move their business forward, even if it's just in micro steps before they can take big steps. So, um, so that's great. Well, I think uh, I, I will we'll say that the, we got a lot out today, a lot of information, as I will show. Always take lots of notes, so I'm always <laughs> hustling out those as fast as I can. Hopefully, I can read them all at the end. But, sure. Jeff, I want to thank you very much for your time. Uh, it was fantastic getting to know more about yourself, more about uh, how you kind of see the environment, your types of investments that you look at. Uh, the rapid fire was rapidly well done. I think we got out lots of information. So I think we'll leave it at that, but I'll give you the last word. So anything you want to share to the investors or to the startups, uh, I give you the last word so you can share any final comments you want. Uh, voice of encouragement, as you will. And uh, we look forward to soundbiting everything and uh, putting this up online. And we'll let you know when that is. But I turn it over to you for any last words. Yeah, I'd say that no person is an island. So really tap into your network and, and don't be afraid to ask um, you know, investors or VCs, you know, if they could provide some degree of advice, you know, if, if you can, you know, I mean, obviously we can't meet up for coffee necessarily, but even just to engage in a virtual meeting or a phone call, just so that, uh, you know, you could get uh, some further insight and maybe some help in terms of how to uh, build your, build your company. Brilliant. I love it. Well, again, Jeff, thank you very much for time. It was a great conversation. And uh, we'll stay in touch, but have a fantastic rest of your day. And long, uh, I was going to say long weekend and a good weekend. guess it's not really long. The midweek uh, celebrations probably are still carrying through, but uh, That's right. enjoy your weekend regardless and the heat. So have a fantastic day. And thanks again for sharing. My pleasure, JP. You as well. And thank you very much for the invite. I had you fun. Bet. Thank you. All right, man. Cheers. Take care now. Well, there you have it. It was a, a fantastic review by Jeff Messina. He shared lots of great insights. Uh, big fan. I've uh, known Jeff for a little bit now, but really enjoyed learning more a bit out about his company, about how his investment strategies work. And uh, I like the, uh, the last thing he said, which is, no person is an island. Well, I think that's a great way to kind of share that you really do have to utilize your network and start to figure out, how can I talk to as many people as I possibly can? Because the more people I speak to, the more opportunities I'm going to create by getting people more interested in my business or in what I'm doing. So fantastic little saying. And I think that there's also a big opportunity now when you look at crowdsourcing or crowdfunding, that this could be an early stage vehicle for helping your company find financing early on. And that could helpfully, helpfully, help and hopefully be able to allow you and your company to be more de-risked so that when you do go to the angel community or maybe one of them brings you forward is that you're going to be able to show growth and show opportunity. So there is something certainly there to look into. I think that there's a huge opportunity and you know what, even if you've got a great mousetrap, you need to have great management and that comes from advisors that comes from the CEO uh, that comes from the people that you're going to bring into your company. So as Jeff mentioned, look at figuring out ways to make your management team stronger and better and inside of uh, 
uh, all of that, look at what is my unique opportunity? What am I really delivering that's going to make this a big change that someone's going to want to have interest in? And then find people to support you from investors, coaches, and advisors, everybody. Outside of that, thank you and have a fantastic day.